Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. It's time for the Life Writing Podcast with your hosts, authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve Dew. All about creating the project of your dreams while living a balanced artist life. Be the hero or heroine of your own story. Sponsored by LifeWritingPremium.com. Get ready to write for your life. Hey, this is Tanana Reeves-Yu of the Life Writing Podcast. I don't usually do an introduction for a new episode, and this is a brand new episode, but it comes with a little bit of a backstory, and I wanted to share it with you. We invited guests Omar Epps and Clarence A. Haynes to come to the podcast to talk about their Nubia book series, but of course I assumed we would also be talking to Omar about his amazing acting career in film and television. Then we were reminded by the publicist, because the, the SAG after strike was still underway, we wouldn't be able to talk about his filmography and struck projects and, and that kind of stuff. And we recorded this Wednesday morning of last week. So we did the whole podcast without talking about any of the amazing work he's done in film and television. And then we heard the announcement that same night that the strike would be ending on Thursday. So one day later, and we could have chopped it up, but that didn't happen. So I'm doing it now because come on, Omar Epps, what a career, juice, higher learning, ER, love and basketball, house, scream to, I mean, amazing filmography. And there's a little bit more of a backstory than even that. I didn't get to talk about this either. When I was a reporter for the Miami Herald many million years ago, One of my assignments was to interview a very young, maybe 17 or 18-year-old Omar Epps. He had just started his career with his debut film by a debut director, by the way, named Ernest Dickerson, and the film was called Juice. So that was one of my first entertainment stories, one of my first celebrity interviews. It was his first movie, and it was a real full-circle moment for me to have him back on the show. Now, it wasn't so much a full circle moment for him. <laughs> he was a kid. He should, he didn't remember it. I'm sure it was all a whirlwind, but I'll, I, I'm just so glad that I'm still here doing my thing. He's still out there doing his thing. And I'm so excited to welcome these two to the podcast, which I know you're going to enjoy. Welcome to the Life Writing Podcast, where married authors and screenwriters Stephen Barnes and Tanana Reeve do talk about writing during stressful times, breaking into Hollywood, and balancing life. Every week, we'll share more tips on how to build a better life while you create your dream projects. Even if it's only at the rate of one sentence a day. Life writing is the application of the tools of writing to life and the tools of life to your writing. All right. Oh, the applause actually came on on cue. <laughs> what? The audience loves us. And they're oh, excited they're about our guests. They're super hyped today because usually it's like they haven't had their caffeine or what. It's, it's, oh. 
But anyway, it's great to be back with a live podcast last week, in part, honestly, because of my book tour, we had to do a recorded best of life writing podcast. But this one is, we have high, high, high caliber guest today, actor Omar Epps and author Omar Epps and Clarence A. Haynes. But before we bring them on, honey, why don't we talk a little bit about what's going on? What's going on? All right, I bet they don't do that on Good Morning America. So, so there. <laughs> anyway, yeah. we 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 are like the next tier of interviews after this uh, duo has been on their national book tour. But, honey, do you want to start in terms of what you're well, working on? I guess so. I I've reached a critical point with this Star Wars novel. I'm doing a Star Wars novel based on Mace Windu. I'm I'm doing the first Mace. Well, not the first. This is the second one. There's one called Shatterpoint. But there are some very specific things that I'm trying to do there, and it's due by the first of January. So you know, I'm I don't have enough word count yet. I I want it to by this weekend. I'd like to feel lying to myself that I have a complete draft, so I can take you- off for Oricon. And just kind of relax up there and see people and then come back and hit it hard. At the same time, we've got these other projects they're working on. And at the same time, you know, I'm still training to go to Manila in, in February for the, for the Filipino martial arts workshop. And I think that, that all of this stuff is under the fact that I need to support you as much as possible because you've just broken out in some fascinating ways. And so I want to hand the baton back to you and get you to talk a little bit about what's happening. It's been somewhat surreal. When we were at the World Fantasy Awards, it was like every day. It was like a new thing. Like, oh, did you see this New York Times review? Oh, did you see this Washington Post review? Oh, did you see this USA Today review? (laughs) Just like, what is happening? Uh, Because it's so weird having published since 1995. And I have had readers who who really enjoy my work and I've had critics who've enjoyed my work, but there's this weird critical mass happening. Uh, maybe people thought I was dead. I don't know what it is, but I'm really excited. And the, the hardest part is the travel. That's the piece we talked about in our last live podcast. Post You're talking about the reformatory. Yes, I'm sorry. Oh, thank you. We specifically need to mention the fact that we're talking about Tanana Reeve's new novel, The Reformatory. Oh, that's right. I have a book Which was too. published one week ago and already has Bunches of reviews on Amazon and, you know, best of the year. People talking about book of the decade. Oh, come on. Come you know, on if, you, if you get up to bat often enough, eventually you get a home run. It's no Nubia, and, though. I'll tell you that. Huh? <laughs> I said there's no Nubia. <laughs> but no, it, it is that. And thank you for reminding me to mention the title. That's Absolutely. an old lesson I learned long ago that I had forgotten in a moment of excitement. Can't but I that. have been very grateful for this week at home, even with the cat getting sick and having to go to the vet. That's why I want to be at home. I exactly. like to be in my house with my family. Yeah, that's not an interruption kitty. of life. That is life. Exactly. So I, you know, I tell people if I could teleport to all these different locations, I could do it all the time. I mean, hey, how you doing? But it's the it's the in-between. It's the travel. It's the planes, the airports, the germs. That's the part that gets me down. And I'm working extra hard to keep balance, doing my meditation, you know, our workout routine that we started when we were in the Crystal Lake Writers Room earlier this year has really taught me how to work out in the little in the little nooks of time. You know, yeah. you don't always and have a lot of time. you're getting more rest. Right. You know, I want more rest, more yoga, better you, eating. Look, and look. Act, act as if you are in an athletic competition. 
Treat your you body know, like, mind that way. You know, I've been making myself stay in bed till eight o'clock. And that's, that's right. hard after the time change. It feels like nine. I'm, I'm like dying to get out of bed by 630 in the morning. But I stay till eight for you, darling. It's good no, because it's the, adrenaline, me. the me. adrenaline will mask your fatigue. That's the fact true. that you have all these things to do out there. Your body hasn't actually healed yet. Your mind, your body mind hasn't completely healed yet, but you're, a, you're an alpha. You're, you're a doer, you know, you're an achiever. So you want to jump out of bed and get it done. But what you don't realize is that when you hit the tree, the tree hits back and oh, it dulls shoot. your ax. So, okay. you, you know, you have to take care of you. You are the ax. Thank okay? you, Sensei. As well as the I, woodsman. And you have I, to take care of it. I appreciate okay? it. I will I, spank you. Oh, oh, don't you hurt my baby. Now, now, don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> we have company, darling. We have company. And okay, speaking of company, I would love to introduce our guest. Let's do this. You. We have two guests today. So this is a very special podcast. First is Clarence A. Haynes. He's the co-writer of the Afrofuturist novels Nubia, The Awakening, and Nubia, The Reckoning with Omar Epps, as well as the author of the short historical work, The Legacy of Jim Crow. He's a native New Yorker was an associate editor with the Doubleday Broadway division of Random House and the Harlem Moon imprint before going on to work as a developmental editor for titles with Amazon Publishing. So lots of editing before he made the leap to writing. Can't wait to talk to him about that. And he lives in Brooklyn. Omar Epps is a legend who has co-starred in Black cinema modern classics I can't name because of the SAG after strike, which hopefully will be ending as we speak, but certainly hopefully this week. Oh my gosh, I hope so. But check out the IMDb page for all the things I can't talk about to see about his impact on film and television. And when I was a reporter for the Miami Herald in 1990s, I interviewed him for publicity stuff for his debut film, which was also the director's debut, which we also cannot mention. So this is a first full circle moment, at least for me, because he doesn't even remember being in Miami. <laughs> Such a whirlwind, but it is a full circle moment for me happening right here on the Life Writing Podcast. And of course, Epps is also the co-author of the Nubia series with Clarence A. Haynes. So welcome to Twofer, Clarence A. Haynes and the Omar Epps. Welcome to the studio, gentlemen. Thank you for Thank having you us. so much for um, um, having us. And um, um, uh, Stephen, it's wonderful to uh, meet you because uh, we haven't um, talked or, or met in person in Tenerife. It's congratulations <laughs> on everything. Thank you, my dear. We we met briefly in New York at the uh, National Book. Uh, what was that about? The, the Center for Black Fiction for their yes. speculative fiction conference. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. You're so good with the titles and the names. It's. It, I'm still trying to deal with the blur of everything. But I wanted, we just wanted to talk to you guys. I mean, I know you're here to talk about Nubia, but I cannot have Omar Epps in our studio without noting you have been thriving in this business for a very long time. And I know that's a difficult thing to do. And I'm wondering, what do you think has been your key to your longevity in the business? What do you, what, what, what are you doing that, that what is happening? Well, first of all, thank you for, for having us on. It's, it's a pleasure full circle, as you, as you mentioned before, I think in terms of longevity for me, when I was starting out, I was very young. I did my first film when I was only 17 years old. But I always thought of longevity. I always thought of, I never looked at it 
I would immerse myself into the moments, but I never looked at my career as a moment, like just stuck in that moment. I, I was inspired by Sidney Poitier and his grace and his power and his elegance, but his longevity and, and the Paul Robinsons and the people that I, I came up inspired by in terms of art, they stood the test of time. So that was something that was ingrained in me very young. And therefore I, I, I tried to make choices that would become a pathway that I would chart, but it would be a pathway up a mountain, so to say. And then, the, you know, perseverance, obviously fortune and blessings come along with it, but you, you know, you have to persevere and, and it's a tough business. It's a great art, but it is a, it is a tough business. And I think underneath it all, I respect this craft so much. You know, when I was young, I couldn't imagine, you know, 30 years later, still doing what I love to do. But now that I am here, I realize that, wow, everything that I've been a part of and will do will be here long after I'm gone. So I'm tasked with a new um, fuel. I don't know if that's the right word, but I'm fueled with something that is is much more powerful than it was when I began, because I realized the weight of what I leave behind in my art form, the potential of that weight, hopefully to influence younger generations to come for the better. I think that what I'd really love to take a look at what Omar just said right there, because it's critical. One of the frameworks that I talk about is what I call the magic formula, M-A-G-I-C, and it's MAP or model, action, gratitude, intention, and courage. So what you're talking about here is I heard all of that in what you were just saying. And anytime you get all of that, you're in the playing field. So you can, if you play that back, people, listen to what he talked about, the map or model, the people who whose path he was following, the Sidney Poitier and the Paul Robeson and so forth and so on. Listen to the, the constant action, constantly working, okay? The, the emotion, the G for gratitude, that's really interesting because he actually was, you're talking, Omar, you're talking about a, a tendency that I've seen in, in masters more than just experts and that, that masters are always learning, they're always doing, and they're always teaching. When you, when you talked about your legacy, you were aware that you feel gratitude towards the mentors and the role models who are ahead of you, but you are aware that you are a mentor and a role model to the people behind you on the path. To a degree, this profession that you love, you're talking about your respect for the acting, your respect for that takes you above the question of what's happening at this moment. You take care of the moment, but it's also a matter of there is this path that we're all on together. We, we actors, the clarity of intention would be yes. the goal. I don't know what your goals were in terms of your career, except that they had to be to be the best actor you can be. And you were measuring that partially in how you were working and what you were doing and who you were serving. And then the yes. confidence and the courage comes from who are you serving? A soldier fights for the people who command him. A warrior fights for the people who depend upon him. 
And you yeah. have that sense of obligation in the world. I can see, see, see that. That's all I wanted to say really quick is that in that little speech, you gave all five aspects that have to be together for a person to move through life with power. Yeah. And I promise we'll get to you, Clarence, but I want to follow Can't up, wait. Omar, because I was kind of there at the beginning when your career began in the 1990s. And that was when I started publishing, too. So there was a big surge in representation in the 90s. But for a long time after that, it didn't feel like, frankly, to me, that it had sustained. And now in 2023, it feels like we're in another golden era of representation. Do you agree? And do you think that you would have had an easier time launching your career today than you would have in the 90s? Or does it feel kind of like a parallel experience? Mm, that's a really, I, I want to sort of digest that. It's a really interesting question. You know, I feel like now there's much more, it, there seems to be much more opportunity. But I think because of social media and th- things are so much, they're fragmented. That's, that's, that's what I'm trying to get at. Like what we ingest is fragmented, whether it's, written word, whether it's imagery, whether it's sound through music, you know, when I was coming up, you know, your favorite album, you'd listen to Sade for four years and patiently wait for her next album. You had no problem. Now they're putting out a new album every two, three months. Mm. And so it dilutes, in my opinion, it it dilutes the, the work that's being created. And so to answer your question, I think on the surface, there seems to be more opportunity, but underneath it, do those opportunities present longevity to get back to the, you know, the first thing that that, the opportunities to have longevity, or is it just now what used to be 15 minutes of fame is two minutes of fame, you know, everyone can, everyone can do a reality thing. Everyone can do, and it, it can have a moment, right? But when... I was coming up and, and, and our peers, you know, you, you, you really had to have a, you had to be able to perform at a certain level is what I'm trying to say. The training, you could tell the, the novices from the people who had a little bit more girth, if you will, in the craft itself. And so, as they say, the cream sort of rose to the top, but now when you, I'm not going to mention names, but when you juxtapose certain names against certain female names against a Beyonce and the two have, you can't, you shouldn't even be mentioning them in the same sentence, right? I love your diplomacy (laughs) here. I'm just trying to be fair, but I'm trying to be straightforward. Absolutely. It's, it's no knock to anyone, but it just, it just dilutes the craft. And then, so what I think about is, okay, well, how does that look? 10 years from now, because the standard is lower. So I also want to talk about really quickly something that you brought up about that time that I came up in really wasn't golden era because I don't come from the Orson Welles and the Hitchcock school of film. I come from the Spike Lee school of film. Right. Okay. And Spike was making great entertainment, but he was saying something and he was saying something profound and it affected us when we saw films like do the right thing or school days, things that spoke to our core and gave us, even when you go to shows like A Different World or the first time I saw a functional Black family that was happy, 
and was making something in life was the Cosby show. So as a little kid watching that show, growing up a fatherless kid in a single parent, blue collar household, it sparked my imagination. Hey, man, I can one day when when I'm a father, I wanted to be like that. You know, I might not make it, or I'm a doctor or my wife is a lawyer, but I'm going to do something with my life and I can create a, 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 a Black family that's happy and prospering and we'll figure out our problems. There was tension there, but they always found the laugh and it didn't have to be so heavy. Yeah, That influenced me. The power of imagery has always been important to me throughout my journey. So I'm, I'm again, uh, Stephen, going back to what you said about that awareness, I'm aware of the imagery and how it could potentially affect the young me. And that's always been important to me to leave. Oh my God, you just hit another one. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores. And it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. You just hit <laughs> another one. In, in, there's a, something they call the ancient child, which has to do with the fact that the child part of our personality contains all the aliveness and the energy, just as a, as a reification, just as a way of looking at it. And one thing that I tell writers is that they have something to teach a younger version of themselves. Mm-hmm. That if they look at what they're writing as writing a message in a bottle back to their own younger self, they will always be telling the truth and they'll always be accessing their powers. So when you said talking about doing something that is has an impact on a younger version of you, that's why he's his longevity. He honors the people ahead of him on the path and sends messages back to the younger people on the path. That is mastery, my friend. I, yeah, I, and also... I, I love it. I absolutely it's also love it. a great segue, I mean, in so many ways, speaking back to the younger self, a book series that's aimed at readers ages 14 to 17, Accessing Your Powers, a book series about young people with powers. So let me bring Clarence into the conversation. Amen. 
too, so we can dovetail back to Nubia. Clarence, you began in the industry as an editor. And what made you decide that you wanted to embrace writing instead? Or in addition? Um, <laughs> in addition. So, so my literary hero, one of my literary heroes um, is Toni Morrison. And she started off as an editor um, at Random House before um, becoming an author. And coincidentally, I've also, as, as you mentioned, have an uh, extended professional history at um, Penguin Random House. And so she was sort of um, someone who provided the template for me to be like, you know what, I think I can start to present my voice as an author. And so it worked on, had the opportunity to work on a short history book for middle graders detailing Jim Crow laws. And then once the opportunity came up to work with Omar, and particularly as someone who absolutely loves, loves, loves everything speculative fiction, science fiction, fantasy, horror is 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 my passion it was a no-brainer and you know one of the most gratifying experiences has been to watch omar create this new branch of a career you know um everything about all of the 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 core ideas of nubia everything that is about bringing this particular literary universe into fruition is is Omar's. It was it was all his idea, and I was bought in. Then to figure out, okay, so how can we shape this so this can be structured to fit certain publishing conventions? What 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 would make this hopefully a top notch book? So yeah, so it was really it was really a mixture of desire to to start to do writing, but then also opportunity and working with Omar it was a no brainer. I was intimidated. As <laughs> all, as all hell at first, <laughs> I was like, "Whoa!" So they but, brought uh, him to you. I was going to ask because you know we did uh, a few collaborations with Blair Underwood because we had been working with him and pitching with him in in Hollywood, and we're like, "Screw it, we'll just write the movies <laughs> instead of making the movies." But you were paired. How did that? We, work? I was. We were paired by Prashan Trotman. Uh, oh, really? um, yeah, Prashan is connected to Omar's agent and. and she was like, oh, you know, he's looking for um, a co-writer, co-pilot, as um, Omar likes to say. And she was like, Clarence, I know you're into this sci-fi fantasy. Rashad's not historically a sci-fi fantasy person. I've been getting her to get into it. And she, I was like, she was like, oh, do you think this would, would be something you're interested in? And I read the original drafted manuscript in Omar's World Bible. And I was like, absolutely. Like, it, it was, you know, no-brainer. So... Oh yeah, God. I was going to ask questions okay. about your process, but you just touched on it. So before he ever came to you, there was a Bible and uh, a manuscript or, or was, you know, just tell me, let's do dig into process just a little bit. So Omar had a dream and he created some documents. What was the nature of the documents that were that were given to you? There were chapters. There was, I mean, I have to think back. There was a full first draft of a manuscript. And then there was a world Bible that I think, and I'm not sure because I'm not, I think you three would know better than me, but I would position as something that is very common in the film world, in the film and television world, in terms of setting up what the time is, what the, the parameters of it. Yes. The book is set in a future New York City in 2098. And so there were accompanying images and descriptions and sort of little tidbits about how people were living, what society was like. And so I think that's something that I've always imagined is more common to this, the film TV world, whereas for the book world, we tend not to, we sometimes will have that, but 
for the most a series. Part, uh, if if you're proposing yeah. a series to a publisher, then you might have to create right kind of it, it, exactly, about. or a partial. If you're doing, you know, a, a partial a manuscript for yeah. for fiction, if you're not three doing chapters in the entire novel, yeah, then you would sort of present that. And so then my part of our process was then to figure out how to sort of present these things in a way that would fit publishing, standard publishing conventions. And then some, you know, in, in terms of when the, the proposal was submitted, we did keep quite a bit of that. Like it wasn't it wasn't completely taken out just because of who Omar is and what his background is it felt appropriate. Well, yeah, that's great. I mean, Blair actually came to us with a character in mind, and and we all sort of plotted around how to how to bring that world to life. But Omar, let's go back to you with the original inspiration, because you've done a lot of work. There's been a foray or two into horror, but most people wouldn't might not think about Afrofuturism when they think about you. So, how did this fulfill a dream for you to to put this together, and why did you put it together? Well, you know, for me, I I am. At heart, I'm an ideas guy, and they're constantly circulating. And so I had no idea that it was a young adult sci-fi Afrofuturist, you know, all these buckets. I didn't know. I just had this idea that I was curious about. And the original nugget I'll share with you was one day I was just thinking to myself, we live in such a, what seems to be such a tumultuous world. And so what if love itself was illegal? And then love itself was reborn through this 13-year-old kid who doesn't know that he's love. Now, the book is, is a, it's, it's a completely different, uh, conceptually is different from that. But that's sort of where it started from for me, building out, well, what does that look like? Why am I thinking about this? Why is this interesting to me? And I, I, I started to frame the characters like, well, who... What if every these as the character so that initial character was love, so that immediately I go to well, what's the character for the opposite of love, and then every human emotion in between represented on paper, so to say, and then building out the mythology just came natural to me. Just thinking of the human experience, and we know a little bit about what we've come from, but what's it going to look like? And then, you know, through that process of building out and building out, and it's been a, such a wonderful journey to take along with Clarence because we've become friends. It's beyond a, a business relationship. And so once I got it to the point of, again, I've never done this before, so I don't know. I knew that I don't want to do this by myself. I really think it would be beneficial to partner with someone. And I didn't know how that process was going to go, but I've read some of Clarence's writing and I was like okay and then after our first conversation I was like he gets it not so much Nubia because we're gonna figure that out but he gets it and that it that I'm speaking about is beyond the title or a genre it's that we're trying to we're trying to create something that will traverse through time as time progresses we're trying to leave behind a breadcrumb trail in this fictional circumstance that is going to impact spirits for hundreds of years to come. And so when, when we connected that way, then we dove back into our costumes, if you want to say. Uh, our wardrobe is on paper through the words. And, and, and we just dove in and, and 
Clarence is wonderful because I am that crazy dude that'll call you at 2.47 in the morning. <laughs> like, you know, hey, what do you think about this? And he's like, you can't just wait two hours till it's like and, and, dawn. And, <laughs> and you, you, you should know, we. it's funny that the concept of legacy is coming up so often in this conversation with, with two things. The very concept of Nubia, which was this hidden island where people are so exalted that they're naturally able to connect with the universe and exhibit special powers, was Omar's love letter to Black people and to the legacy of, of ancient um, societies and systems in which he wanted to, to, to express that le- legacy metaphorically. A, and then B, in terms of just the, the, our conversations about the book, Omar's vision from the get, from the get, the book deals with teenagers having to deal with parent, parental units, parents, who, and, and, and communities that have left them with legacy stuff that's less than perfect and what are the decisions they're going to make? How are they going to cope with this? How are they going to get through? That That is was was from the end so much what uh, Omar wanted to, to really, really play play with and particularly dealing with fathers and, and mm. what they, they leave behind. So Very nice. And, fathers and, and sons. Fathers and sons. And... As a matter of fact, the the story has some and daughters and daughters and daughters, <laughs> daughters and sons and daughters. Yes, daughters absolutely. We only want to leave out the daughters. <laughs> so, I love that your books are about the future, but there are also these callbacks to issues that young people are dealing with today. I'm assuming that's intentional. Could you speak to that? Yes, all of that was very intentional. I think that. It just naturally took place in the future because I wanted to get past, you know, we live under the pressure and fear of, you know, what ifs? What if this happens to our climate? What does that look like? I wanted to be like, okay, all of that's happened and then what? Because people are still going to be here in some shape or fashion. So what are those people doing? What are they eating? How do they dress? What are the issues of, of that time? And certainly they'd be presented with a a new set of issues. But what we found as we sort of, uh, Clarence and I, we we had a great, when I say challenge is the right word, because we would creatively challenge one another as a a football team does. Like just, I'm not getting off track, I'm staying on track. A football (laughs) team practices against itself. The offense and the defense practice against each other so that when they go, when one goes and plays the other unit of another team, Essentially, they're challenging each other to bring the best out of each other. So Clarence and I would challenge each other with our ideas. And what we constantly found was that it so much. It, yes, the story takes place in the future, but there are these these constants through the human experience, period. Because when you go backwards 100 years, 200 years, 300 years, humans are basically still dealing with a lot of the same issues. They're just, you know, in a different outfit at at that time of, you know what I mean? In that time frame. But all of these isms, whether they're sexism, ageism, racism, classism, you know, there's some form of it that seems to always be going on any point that you drop in into the human experience. So then what does that look like now? And then I think what makes Nubia special is the idea that there was 
a place in time in the human experience where there was a utopia because man was so in perfect balance with the land and every creation around him that then he was bestowed with the other part of the metaphysical or quantum or whatever buzzword you want to put on it that we're not privy to just yet, that they had that figured out at a time. And when they got out of disalignment with that is when you speed forward and we're a hundred years later. You know, I've often told uh, students, you know, they ask what kind of writing classes should I take? And I say, don't, don't study, don't study writing, study acting and journalism, journalism (laughs) for research, but acting for the ability to create characters from the inside out. I would love it if you would draw a parallel between your process in creating the character of the story and your process of creating a character in acting. Because I suspect- Stephen, I gotta I gotta tell you something real quick. What is so profound about what you just said is that I'm constantly telling young actors to study writing <laughs> because they will learn the science of story. Because the way that they train most actors and actresses is to think singular, think about the character and their experience. And so a lot of young actors are are disconnected from the overall story. So they don't, which basically disconnects you from the character's experience. You know what I mean? And so for me, I've always, I read, I read scripts twice. I sit down, I read, the first time I read any script is like, I'm in the audience watching the thing too. So I just read it just to see if I like it or, oh, yeah, this is cool or whatever. Then I read it again from that character's perspective. But while I'm reading it from the character's perspective, I have a broad view of why this is said on page 49 by that other character and how that connects to what the other character said on page 12 and how that connects to page 87 and so forth and so on. So in this process of Nubia, creating Nubia, that came easily to me, you know, Clarence was great because, again, I don't know the the. I, there are rules in creating a novel, so he'd be like, "Hey, you're going too far left that way. All right, sway back a little this way." And it was just like, "All right, just just bring me back." And then also learning that you know, essentially, obviously, the book is for everyone of all ages, but we were trying to speak to that younger demographic. So, how far do we take the lane? No, I didn't want it to be pristine. I wanted it to speak to a teenager of now, like, oh yeah, I'd probably say that at that point. And, but still sort of be ahead of them because we're trying to lay the breadcrumb trail. Hey, Clarence, I would like you to address, uh, first of all, Omar, makes perfect sense. Great answer. Makes perfect sense. I hope that people will look at the transcript on this because you were dropping bombs. Just, just <laughs> boom, 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 boom. He always, he always does. <laughs> so what I want to know from you, from you, Clarence, is that you have your own method of creating characters and creating story. And I would like you to touch on the parallax, the difference between the way you saw these things and the way Omar saw these things, because that will give us a sense of what the flavor of your of your collaboration turned into. So you guys were in conversation with each other philosophically about the nature of story, the nature of the world, the nature of characters. Please l- tell us exactly how you saw that that variation. And you're saying, and you're saying, and you want to hear a bit more about how we contrasted the difference. Yeah, in our, what, our... what your position was, and what the contrast was, because binocular vision demands two slightly different perspectives. 
I get what you're I get what you're saying. So my it's exactly what Omar said. Omar doesn't I've never dealt with this. Omar doesn't run out of ideas. I've never had that where it was literally like every conversation it was like, well, we could also do this. And I noticed that on chapter five, we're doing this. So what if we blah, blah, blah. And for me, what the process then became was, okay, what are going to be the choices we're going to have to make? And knowing, right, what are the the contours of what's essentially YA sci-fi fantasy? What are going to be some of the things we're going to have to really focus on? So as Omar alluded to, for instance, being like, oh, we really do have to make this teen-centric. We really do have to prioritize the, the perspective of of our there are four characters through which uh, the book is told through which each book in the series is told and we really do have to prioritize their povs what would that look like what would that sound like what is nice is you know we were had an event in the bronx and the student reader was really taken aback that for guys of our age, they were diplomatic, that we got the teen voice correct. They said, wow, they were taken. You remember that, Omar? And they said, yeah. I'm taken aback. Um, that they're like, how did you know how to, how did you do that? And it was really because we, we sat there and we had, we figured out how to make, we had to make a choice and we had to say, okay, if this is what it's going to be. And then, and right. And, and we're both, Omar and I are both native New Yorkers from a certain time. We're both come from particular roots. We know how, we know how folks sound from New York from a particular time who might come from humble beginnings. Then that's what we, we, we need to present. And so I, I feel like my place a lot of times was focusing, being being a Debbie Downer, being like we have to make a decision. There are things that aren't going to, I don't think are um, going to work. And then also figuring out how to really honor, honor the fantastic, which is very easy. That wasn't a problem. And then also to complicate the narrative, right? Because, you know, with Omar's original vision of what Nubia was, his original vision of who the main character Uzochi was, and then figuring out, okay, now we're, we set up, we, we have an idea of what this book needs to look like. Now, if this character, Zochi, is meant to epitomize love, that's not where, where he's going to start from. He's going to start from a particular place. And then how do we get him there? You know, and so there's a, a, a journey um, that, that happens from book one to book two. Also, I learned a lot from Omar about what he was saying. I'm not surprised to, I think this might be the first time I've learned that, Omar, that you read scripts twice, which I'm not surprised to learn because there are certain things, for instance, that are in book two that Omar knew from the very beginning. He said, he told me, oh, so this is, these are some things that are going to happen in book two, you know? And so just that sort of having like such a grand vision and being a mastermind of what the the larger story would be was there. And I learned a lot from him around that because that's not necessarily how I often operate. So I I love that there's a a book one and a book two. So a reminder to the listeners that it's a two book series, Nubia the the Reckoning. And I was going to ask about your interactions with young people, because I know being back on the road, hearing what your work means to readers is so humbling and just such an amazing feeling. I mean, some of these kids are taking it for granted. They grew up in the wake of a certain big Afrofuturism film we cannot name. (laughs) 
So it's not like the desert it was when we were younger. But what has what are some of the more memorable moments that have demonstrated to you what kind of impact the representation is having on these kids? And what kind of powers do these characters have? You have we haven't talked about that either. It's been for me, it's been really wonderful getting all the feedback. But really, people have been like, wow, this, you know, this this is a great, you know, it's some say it's a great book or it took them back to a time in their life, but it resonates with them now. I can't tell you how many parents have, have read the book and said they got it for their kids. And then the best is the kids, uh, to your point, like kids coming up to me, man, this was amazing. This was, you know, just see to, to see that feeling that. I once had with certain things that I loved growing up and, you know, never getting a chance to meet this, this football player or this singer or, or, or whatever, but, but that same feeling of, of excitement, it's so important to me. And what's been special to me is recognizing as, as each day passes since the books have come out that, wow, this is really going to be here. You know, so yes, we want to sell all the books in the world, but we don't have to do it like right this second. We don't have, you know, we want to get as many eyeballs on the pages as possible. Yes, but it's going to be here. And there's a whole generation who's going to come up reading this book that when the next generation comes along, they're going to say, hey, you need to read this. You need to check this out. This is going to be, you know what I mean? And just the idea of that is, is, is my first time experiencing it. So it, it really... It's just meant the world to me. Like I said, all the feedback and everyone who's really immersed themselves into the world, they, you know, there's that nod. You get that one nod where you're like, yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's wonderful. By the way, I, I've got to ask a question real, real quick. You've done improv, haven't you? Me? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you have to. I mean, yeah, I've done improv whole films, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I knew it. I knew it. You know, Ten Honor, you there was something that you wanted. You were on that verge of saying, sweetheart. Yeah, Clarence. Just for for people who haven't read the books, what what are the powers? And and what, oh, yes, yes, what, yes, which yes. one would oh. you like to have? I'm going to steal a question from Good Morning. There, yeah, yeah. And by the way, I forgot to mention. I'm sure, all I realized this as we're taping this. This is the one year anniversary of the publishing of book book one. Like I, oh, I just. <laughs> That's great. So it's a special, special day. So I want to say this because we purposely have been leaving the powers, you know, the premises that these group of of young people are awakening to a whole bunch of different powers that they didn't realize it's their birthright. We've purposely been leaving it a little vague because it's it's their, their, that's part of the the pleasure of the Yes, hopefully. So, but what I can add, though, is that whatever powers a particular character awakens to, this is something that, you know, obviously is an extension of what Omar was talking about when he was, you know, talking about archetypes and sort of individual energy. It's their powers are a reflection of who they are. It's a big clue as to how they operate. Yeah. To, to, yeah. to, piggy, <laughs> to piggyback on that real quick, Clarence, and also that in this real world, we all have a superpower. It's all about your perspective. Superpower is just a word, but that could be, you know, learning something new for the first time and and then mastering that thing. That's a superpower. Someone overcoming a tumultuous lifestyle, circumstance, addiction, those things are superpowers. Some, Some people just waking up and smiling and being thankful for a new day. That's a superpower. 
And I'm, it's really important for me to, to us that people know that, that we're each here for a unique reason. And we're all pieces of a giant puzzle. And the puzzle can't be without each individual piece. And so there's worth in every single piece. And part of our task of this life is to find out what is that purpose. And, you know, ultimately, once you figure out that a big part of your purpose is about giving to others, then you're really on the right path. Amen. Beautiful. Beautiful. It was that the Dalai Lama said that the purpose of the meaning of life is to be joyful and of service. Yeah. Well, on that note, Steve, you like to to ask our guests how they're. Yes. How do you stay sane? Because you know, in life, they pay you for how much stress you can take without cracking. So you don't want. To... <laughs> so what do you do to keep from cracking, my brother? <laughs> well, that's a that's a that's a. I love how you how you guys that question because it's a great question. I will say this. I think sanity is relative. <laughs> well, that's for sure. Your, your relatives definitely can drive you crazy. <laughs> but I think it's it's in waves and phases, right? Like life itself is like it's in ebbs and flows. And, and you know, what's sanity to one may be insanity to, to, to another. Obviously, there's a baseline of what is, you know, functional sanity. I, I think it's incumbent upon the circumstances what i like to do is to walk in gratitude constantly as i'm getting you know older and i'd like to think wiser i'm, I'm you have to find different ways to do it when i was young it was all about getting in the gym and uh, getting it out and training and you know boxing and stuff like that and you get older and you, you know I, I like to find it in the simple things you know i got a lot of young kids and turn not my kids but because my, my kids are older now but like you know nieces nephews that sort of thing and just kicking it with them like what's what's important to them and 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 the joy and the laughter of a, of a young child it just makes my heart smile as much as it does to sit with my elders i love talking to like 85 year old people yeah you know what's it about so how was it back in such and such and they, and they paint these pictures at least for me it's like i'm there and i'm like man imagining because what it does is it, it it makes me look at my present challenges with with not so much weight it's like well wow uh, you know for, for instance us as black and brown people oh racism you know it's so and i'm sitting there like man i ain't burning the cross on you oh that's you know, right you ain't got to worry right. about getting getting I will not dishonor my ancestors. If I don't admit we move forward, I am dishonoring my ancestors. Exactly. And and we're standing on their shoulders. You know, folks like us, we are the hope and the dream of the slave. (laughs) Exactly. And as my my mother likes to say, she said, you know, we, she says her generation, they had to stay, they stood on the shoulders of giants and they fought for rights. And she would tell me when I was young and then y'all going to go get to this business. That's and make right. it happen, and it's just like so. Now, what's that next generation going to do? Because now it's now they have like Sean Combs and Sean Carter and Andre Young, who were like young fly black billionaires. Rihanna, Beyonce, like you know. Okay, so what are their kids going to do? That's right. Because mm-hmm. now that's not a thing that can be done. And now they're like my son is fifteen. He doesn't know the world without a black president. 
So right. the, the idea of yeah. it, there never being one to him is absurd. Like, what do you mean? Like, y- you know, <laughs> I want to I want to ask the same question of Clarence. Clarence, in your life, how have you handled the stress of work and life and remain sane in the midst of it? What do you do specifically? So I think, you know, it's very funny because even when I worked for, I loved how you articulated what, how we're generally paid to take as much stress as we can. And during my life professional career, even when I've worked within offices, corporations, I always end up and sometimes literally physically a bit out of the way, a bit to the side, a bit and have my own space so that I can cultivate my own sense of quiet, peace, chill time. I have found, and I, 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 I don't think that's a coincidence. I think the universe is consistently been trying to tell me something. This is this is how you're supposed to exist, and that's consistently how I, yeah, I stay sane by you know even when I have to be out in the world and working hard and do what I got to do, and then just taking a moment and you know having a room of my own, a space of my own, and just being and seeing what comes up, and 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 being okay with that. And if I need to release something or release something, and if I need to sit with something, I'm like, ah, cool chill we're gonna (laughs) this is gonna be part of me for a while and so that that just just that that quiet time and sort of just listening has has been essential and i also i i I think tana reed you had asked about powers and omar brought up this thing about gifts and powers and i do think even though so i'm a I wasn't going to laugh because I always bring this up. I'm an X-Men person. So I was into comics. I love Storm. I love Rogue. Particularly would think of myself, would love to think of myself as a Storm-like character. But I am, I think, more something that's of the mind and soul would probably be, you know, more what my power or gift. So it sounds like, of- like for you, it's kind of being alone, being able to control your space. <laughs> Considering being able, just being able to have, uh, to listen. That's what, that's what I would say to listen, to be still and to see what comes up for, for myself and to see where I, I feel the most like me. I just believe that we all sometimes need though, to have to, to create that space unto ourselves Absolutely. and then see what's there and then make that decision. To make. And then it also allows you to listen to others as well. Yes. When you're centered you know, when you're operating from a place. So can I piggyback that on that do, real quick? Yes. No, please. Can I piggyback on that real quick? So there's something that I do every I've, I've been fortunate to do what I do and make a living from what I do for over 30 years now. Every single movie set I've ever been on since the first one I walked on. There's a moment of every single day where I just look up and I'm in wonderment of what's happening. Mm. Like, wow, I can't, I can't, I'm actually doing this thing. And, I, and it just calms me and it makes my heart smile. And I'm just so thankful for to, to be able to do this. And it grounds me in my purpose. So we find our ways we can do the yogas, we can meditate, we can, you know, but, you know, I was thinking this morning when I got up, life is never going to stop life, but it's how you choose to live it. Life will be the way that you perceive it. So sometimes you have to shift your lens and life itself is not a monolith. Everyone likes to throw around this term, no, I'm not monolith. Well, neither is life or the universe. It's all, it's going to have been flow. We have weathers, we have seasons, we have all these things for a reason. And the universe is literally inside of our bodies. 
So if everyone was to stop and have to think about the trillions of things that happen to you physically just for you to take a breath, something you never even think about. The only people that think about breathing are babies and old people. <laughs> you know what I mean? And babies don't even think about it. They just do it. It just happens. I'm only saying that to say we have so much to be thankful for, no matter what circumstances we in, we're in. At that current time, it's just a moment. We don't have to become prisoners of those moments. And I think that knowing that there's this, everyone has a voice and a reason, and there's someone that you can impart your light upon just by saying hello in the store and leading with love, that will help you stay sane. That will help you literally stay sane when you see the effect that if someone comes up to you, hey man, that last Thursday when you, when you said hi, I really needed that. Thanks. Absolutely. Thank you. Beautiful. You know, you know one, one of the really things that is true is that every time we do one of these shows, we're never exactly sure which thing we're going to suggest that our listeners get in terms of getting closer to us, you know, the different products and services that we have. But you guys, the craft part of you with both of you is down there at unconscious competence. So that's what you have is the ability to live life so that you can interact with people, share dreams, keep your energy level high over time. And I think that, that what both of you have just said about connecting with the child and the elder and stepping into the silence and listening. The gratitude. The gratitude. gratitude. This is, you have both mastered something that we teach people in our Life Writing Fire Dance program, which is basically a daily ritual of movement and affirmation and visualization using using uh, Tai Chi Chuan as as the matrix as the physical matrix for that. But you could do it running, you could do it gardening, you could do it dancing. But the 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 trick is to feel gratitude, to see the path that you're on, to be able to take another step every day. I would if if what these gentlemen, these masters of their craft have has said has resonated with you, we would suggest you go to firedancetaichi.com. We would also recommend that you listen to the show that we do every every Saturday. Man, Get this is almost like list. a secret, Steve. We never tell people, but we do Zooms with our readers and with other artists on the path every week. <laughs> if you join our mailing list, my list is tananarivelist.com. StephenBarnesList.com. And it's all about that living a high energy, creative lifestyle. Whether you are in the arts or just trying to be good parents or good partners, the ability to, to continually create your life every day, to find a moment in every day where you look at the world and feel grateful to be here, to be able to draw another breath, to be able to take another action. The, it's unbelievable. FiredanceTaiChi.com is the way you can get closer to us in that particular way. And I would, Tanana Reeve is going gonna, is gonna to do her clothes in just a moment, but I would like to say, brothers, I have really, really enjoyed this time that we have spent together. I feel that we've been able to speak some truth. And I know that if people will listen to this, they're going to buy your book because your book obviously is a celebration of life and love and hope and faith. Yes, yeah. and for all ages, written for 14 to 17, but for all ages. And yeah, so is there anything you want to say in, in parting, gentlemen? Where can people find you? Anything else? You, I love mentioning that it's the one-year anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. 
Clarence A. Haynes on Instagram. I'm very engaged with social media, just talking to people about the series and any questions that they have, future appearances, giving little tidbits and sneak peeks into the series. So, so yeah, find me there. <laughs> and yeah. Omar, closing comments. I'm at, at Omar Reps on socials. People can find me uh, getting, trying to give my daily dose of love. And I will say this in closing, that we have more in common than not. And I say that because the true secret sauce of the Nubia book series is about unity. It's about that humans as a species, we haven't gotten anywhere at any point in time without doing it together. Amen. Amen. So well put. The mastermind principle is the only way of overcoming lack of capacity or resources is building teams. We have to build teams, building families. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Everybody go check out Nubia. This, the series, The Awakening and The Reckoning, and you all go out and make yourselves the heroes or heroines of your own story. The hero in the adventure of your lifetime. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you. You've been listening to the Life Writing Podcast. Join us next time for more conversations about creating the project of your dreams. For more information, go to lifewritingpremium.com and get ready to write for your life.